I don't know about you, but uh, it has been a full morning, right? And uh, wow, praise the Lord for that. If you weren't able to be here today and you're going to be listening on the internet here later this week, I just want to tell you who are listening, uh, wow, what a morning. And I will just tell the rest of you that uh, we have some baptisms in the second service. If you want to hang around and just watch those and then head out, you are welcome to, because I'm going to tell you, um, God's been at work. God's been at work. Well, hey, we're going to dive into God's Word here for a little bit. We're falling into the Psalms, and uh, so we're going to do that today. We're in Psalm 11. Uh, Psalm 11, please turn there in your Bible. Psalm 11, it's faith beholds. The whole goal of this series has been for us just to literally do that. It's kind of like the kids on the screen, is just to fall into God's Word, and to fall into God's Word and just be refreshed and renewed, and uh, um, I just pray that's been happening for you. I can tell you honestly... Um, it has been for me, and uh, I have been, um, God's just been doing a work in me uh, through this as well, and just thrilled about it. Well, uh, we've already been noted that, uh, uh, right, we're coming into December and Christmas, and um, if you didn't know that, welcome. Uh, and as far as with the series, just so that you know, we are going to continue falling into the Psalms. We're going to be falling into the Psalms over the Christmas season. And so it's going to be Christmas in the Psalms as we're going to be doing that and just rejoicing in that. Actually, the first Sunday in December, um, Karen and I are actually going to be on a real vacation. And um, so uh, we're going to, uh, Pastor Cody's going to be taking us to Psalm 14 and getting us started in that series. And I'm going to be picking up. And uh, taking us to Psalm 96, 97, and 98 through the December month. Excited about that. Well, today we're in Psalm 11. We're going to fall into that, right? And uh, take a look at it. Let's just go at it. And we fall right away. Notice the opening declarative statement in this psalm, in Psalm 11. It is the, the heading for, I think, the whole psalm of it. It says, In the Lord I take refuge. What does it say? You tell me. So here is David making the statement. Literally, it could be said in Yahweh, I have taken refuge. In grammatical standpoint, it's, it's kind of written in the perfect tense. In other words, it's an action that's already happened, but that has ongoing consequences to it. Now, the reality of that, saying that I have in this taken refuge in the Lord, uh, carries out this idea of it's like I've driven the stake in the ground and that's the decision. That's who I am. That's what I am. That's what's going to be happening in my life. But yet it has ongoing decision to that in an ongoing manner as well. It's kind of like if you and I were to say in our households, if we were to say, I have decided, we have decided to save $50 a month. We're going to put that away in savings. And, and we've driven that stake in the ground and we've declared that to be the case. And then it comes the first month and then the next month. Every month you're kind of re-upping that decision that's essentially what is happening here in the grammatical structure of what David has put out here. In the Lord, I take refuge. He's not making a suggestion to himself. He's not also kind of declaring a one-week-long New Year's resolution. Uh, this is something that is a definitive, drive it in. In the Lord, I take refuge. Now... What does refuge mean? What does refuge mean? I think when we consider the terminology of refuge, we think of a few things, actually. Uh, one is physical refuge. 
It's kind of the idea that we're like hunkered down underneath a a structure of the shelter of some type protected from the environment, from the rain or of yesterday or or whatever is going on. Or it's the idea of taking refuge in a wartime zone. You're kind of in a bunker protected from what's taking place. And it's true, there's physical refuge for sure. Also, when we think of refuge, there's an aspect of mental refuge, uh, mental refuge from stress and weariness. It's it's, uh, it's like we would take refuge by taking a walk in the forest or, I don't know, taking a walk in the mountains of Indiana. <laughs> Haven't found those yet. Uh, there's some hills, yes. They are not mountains. Um, but uh, it's just that kind of, uh, from last Sunday, that Psalm 8, to see the majesty and glory of God and, and behold who he is and, and to uh, get some mental refuge. And that might even be now the kids are off to school, Time for some refuge. Uh, It might be the whole thing. Hey, now I'm in my room alone, away from the family. Time for some refuge. Uh, It could even be the whole idea of taking a nap or uh, taking, I don't know. I've heard people want to do things like take a long drive in a VW van with Simon and Garfunkel cranked up, (laughs) window down, sun shining, arm out the window, rolling down the road with life in the rearview mirror. I don't know who, but I'm just thinking out loud. Mental (laughs) refuge. Um, I want to toss one out here. I might term it as spiritual refuge. And I think when I say that, I think there's a part of this where we actually go, what is that? I might suggest that's part of our problem. I'm not quite sure if we really understand what it is to take refuge in the Lord. Um, Pastor Nick's sermon, the other week, Psalm 37, kind of racked me up. Fret not. Faith, trust. It hit me big, verse 7. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently. Um, I've been doing the waiting patiently, but I am not good at being still before the Lord. Um, Straight up with you. Um, I've been doing seven days a week for 10 years now, and it preaches the wrong thing. And we live in a culture that actually praises that. And it's not right. Um, Well-intentioned. Desiring what's good, but as Pastor Nick brought to the table, it doesn't preach, it doesn't shout that I understand that God is in control. I don't know if that's you, but I'm just being transparent with you. And here's what I love about Psalm 11, is Psalm 11 now kind of takes us and makes this declarative statement, in the Lord I take refuge, and then it helps people like me and maybe like you to actually see what it now looks like. So we're just going to take a few minutes here, and we're just going to take this in. So thank you for joining me in this. And here's a statement. A faith that takes refuge in the Lord is a faith that beholds the Lord. If we want to understand what taking refuge in the Lord is, I think here we see in this text, in this psalm, it is a faith that beholds the Lord. Okay, here we go. God help us, right? God help us to see. Psalm 11. David opens with a declarative statement. In the Lord I take refuge. 
And then here David puts a real-life situation on the table where sincerely caring, well-intentioned, thinking and wanting the best. Uh, kind of his friends and colleagues, colleagues give him some counsel, but I will just note right up front, it's, bo- it's void of beholding the Lord. Watch this. Let's take a look at it. In other words, not this. Not this. Verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. And then he goes, how can you say to my soul, what, before we go any further, what David has just done, he's made this statement and now he's bringing it to real life. I've made this statement, now I want to bring in an example of it. So how can you say to my soul, a couple things I just want to note about that statement. Uh, who is the you? Who is the you? How can you, uh, now it could be actually three uh, people's potential here. One, it could be David himself. He's referencing himself and how he thinks about life. And kind of he's reflecting back and putting his own thoughts on the table, evaluating his own thoughts. You know, how can you, Doug, say that? Or how can you, David, say that uh, uh, in that? It could be that, but I don't think it is. And the reason I say that is because the you in the language is plural. And so then David kind of got some issues there. If it's plural, he would have put singular there, and it's not that. So I don't think that's what it is. It, it could be now, then, uh, so plural. It could be then those that are en- his enemies. It could be those that, that, that are of the world who could give a rip about Yahweh. It could be them in it. But I don't think that's the case, because we're going to see here in just a moment that they are being referenced outside of who the you is. I'm going to say it this way. I think the you here are well-intentioned, Yahweh-loving, David-caring colleagues and counselors. In other words, if I might put it in present day terminology, it's kind of like God's people giving counsel to one another. This is God's people giving counsel. And that's really important to understand because God's people oftentimes forget Yahweh in the counsel that they give. And that's what is laid out here. So uh, uh, second thing I want to know, you say to my soul, that's really cool. Because we often want just the functioning of things, right? Like, which car do I buy? What job do I take? Where do I go? How do I, which house do I buy? Do we have another kid? Do we get married? Do I date? All these kinds of things. And we think the functionalities of it. But David states this in the kind of way, you say to my soul. And might I put on the table, by the way, uh, loved ones in Christ, when we give counsel, it is not just for functionality. It is to the soul issues. And that means, by the way, that the physical is more than a physical issue. It's a soul issue first. That also means that mental issues of life and how we think and process life, it's not just separate from spiritual things. No, no, no. All of life is spiritual. Physical things are soul things. Mental things are soul things. And also in this circumstance issues are soul things. All things are spiritual and first and foremost soul issues. How can you say to my soul... I wonder what they're going to say. Let's read it. Here we go. David, flee like a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do, David? Let's work this a little bit here. 
Notice that they're saying things, their thoughts, what's going on in their mind, what's going on in their own soul is being laid out on the table. And, and you have those notes there, uh, kind of these, uh, and you see on the screens these talking bubbles here because this is what these counselors are uh, uh, thinking in their head and, and what's going. What are they saying? Well, first thing they give is a, what they suggest David to do. And it's really one word. David, flee! David, flee! Actually, sometimes fleeing is the right thing to do. That's not the problem here. It's not that uh, fleeing certain things is a wrong thing. Sometimes we should flee things. But I just want to put on the table, that's the first thing that they put out here. And, and note that the fact that they say, David, flee like a bird to your mountain. Remember, this is song. This is very picturesque. This is very beautiful in the terminology of it. And, and you can see this flee like a bird in a mountain. It implies two things. It implies, one, that David can flee. There are some times where you can't. Uh, this is one that David could. David has the opportunity from given from his colleagues to him in the situation. David, you have the ability to get out of the situation. Secondly, note that David has a place to go to flee from it. And by the way, that carries this idea that, David, you could get out from under this pressure right now, and you could go to your retreat in the mountains, and David, it would be far more calm there. David, flee. David flee, and maybe he should. That's not the issue right at the table, but that's what they're saying. Let's take a look at what else they're thinking in there to understand the fullness of why they're suggesting this. Note they state the circumstances associated around what's taking place. Next they say, David, they bend the bow. Okay, you already got the idea, right? This is not like... Uh, 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 some, this is not a financial issue. This is, this is not a what job do I take issue. This is a life or death issue. Okay, so this is pretty intense, right? The bow is bent, David. Uh, also note, uh, David, they bend the bow and they have fitted their arrows. They're not threatening. It's locked and loaded and ready to let go, David. This is the time. You do not have time to, to, to waste around to make a decision, Dave. They are ready to let it go. Oh, and David, by the way, they shoot in the dark at, at the upright. It's kind of like they'll gladly unload any time. They'll even shoot at the dark. They, even if they can't see you, they'll just shoot because they just want to take you out. Pretty serious situation. Then comes the infamous ifs of life. If, 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 if. Isn't that how it goes with us? But, but if, but what if, but if, and so here there's counselors, note one thing. David, if the foundations are destroyed, by the way, this is the core of it all. If the foundations are destroyed, it has this idea of David, if the foundations are thrown down, if they fall apart, if they crumble. David, what if you are injured? David, what if you die? David, what if the kingdom is taken from your leadership, David? What if? Uh, David, what if the wicked take charge of this kingdom? Then what? What if wicked people actually take charge of what's going on in our world today? Are you kind of starting to relate some things here and how life is lived and how we think? David, what will happen with our careers? Might be behind that. David, what about everything that we have worked so hard to build for the Lord? Because David, if this all crumbles, what if? What if? 
notice two critically important statements that come out of this thinking. Number one, verse three. David, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We've got to grab a hold of this. Listen, David comes, takes the kingdom by God's leading. David, God's man. David is now leading a kingdom. We don't know the exact scenario of what's happening here, and actually I'm really glad we don't because we have a tendency to only apply it to certain things that are exactly like that. But, but we certainly know that David is king and David in this whole thing. David is like king leader of the most powerful nation on the planet. And in this whole thing, he is, he is having a coup is taking place in this. And it's like, David, if this whole thing goes down, David, David, if this goes down, what can the righteous do, David? Pause. Stop. Hold the bus. Listen, God is not held by any political structure, by any political being, by anything of that kind at all. What do you mean, what can the righteous do? The righteous can do what the righteous are called to do anywhere, under any circumstance, under any leadership, under any structure. Okay? Hey, if this republic falls apart, The righteous do what the righteous are called to do. If it gets even better and it like gets on track, the righteous do what the righteous do. By the way, there's a tendency for the righteous to get lazy when things are on track. And if you go around the world and you take a look at nations where the structures do not fit well with a Christian point of view, I'm telling you, God is at work. What can the righteous do? Verse 2 also is the second thing. Notice. Behold the wicked. That's what's happening here. By the way, all of this looking at here, they're looking around and they're seeing reality. Nothing is wrong with putting on the table, flee, David, flee. Nothing is wrong with talking about the realities of what's taking place. David, the bows are bent. The arrows are loaded. David, they're they're ready to shoot. They'll shoot in the dark. By the way, David, the whole foundations of everything that we have built could just come collapsing down. But listen, friends, when we get to the point of it's like, but what will the righteous do? And we're so focused on the wicked, wrong beholding. Got it? Wrong beholding. That is beholding man versus beholding the Lord. And they are looking horizontal, which is okay, but they are stuck on the horizontal. And they are not beholding who they are to behold. And because of that, they are saying what they should not be saying in their conclusion. Where is the Lord in their whole situation, I ask? Look at what they're saying. By the way, again, I think these are Yahweh-loving, David-loving colleagues, friends, and comrades. And where is God in their counsel? It is absent, 
eerily absent. In fact, I would say it's nowhere. And by the way, David's been in a situation like this before. I don't know exactly how many years before, but he was in a situation before where God's people were beholding people in the circumstance right and before, him, before them, and they were beholding one great big giant dude with the name Goliath. And the mighty men of Israel were beholding Goliath, and in 1 Samuel 17, they say, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. I would have been afraid too. I would have been thinking about fleeing as well. However, it's not until the youngest brother, go youngest brothers, right? I'm one. You always get picked on. We're annoying as all get out. But, but little shepherd boy David, sorry. I got to support my peeps on this. Little shepherd boy David, listen to what David says years ago, potentially decades earlier in this situation. He says to the army of Israel, to his brothers in the army of Israel, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Boom! That he should defy the armies of the living God. Your servant is a shepherd has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For this Goliath has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, oh, I love this, and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Why is he thinking that? Because God is bigger than the 11-foot hairy brute in David's eyes. And David then goes out to Goliath. (laughs) You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut your head off. Boom, baby. Right? I'm telling you, that is someone who's beholding the Lord. Now, kids, don't go to school. To the bully at school and quote this. But there is truth to be learned out of this. And this is what's happening in Psalm 11. By the way, what was David's opening statement? You tell me. One more time. Yeah, and this is how it it does not happen. Okay? What we just saw. Now it would be really helpful... If we could see how beholding the Lord, taking refuge in the Lord does happen, right? Now that we have how not to do it, it would be great to be able to help how to do it. And this is what's so cool about God's word. It doesn't leave us wondering. So here's what we're going to do. Let's clear the screen and let's start over. How to behold and take refuge in the Lord. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 4. After David just saying what his counsel he was giving, David puts truth on the table. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. 
His eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. Let's just, for clarity's sake, let's put these statements up on the screen, kind of replacing what we're not to be thinking. First, the Lord is in his temple. Hey, you know what's going on for David? The bows are bent. The arrows are loaded. They'll shoot in the dark at you. And David, it might be time to flee because this whole thing that we've worked so hard for, for Yahweh's glory, may totally crumble down. And where does David's head go to? To the Lord. And reminding himself, the Lord is in his temple. The Lord is there. This is my situation, but the Lord is reigning from his temple. He's not wandering out in the forest. He's not lost in the mountains. He's not on some planetary galaxy far, far away and busy right now. The Lord is in his temple. Oh, and the next thing, the Lord's throne is in heaven. Not only is the Lord in his temple, but the Lord is on his throne. It's in heaven. And by the way, that's a lot better position to see everything that's going on, right? I can only see certain things, but the Lord sees the whole thing, including the hearts of man and the whole situation of everything going on that's in it. And the, and the Lord is in his temple on his throne in heaven. And for people who think that God is dead or God is in a chair asleep with drool coming out of his mouth, I'm sorry, but you are wrong. He is in his temple, on his throne, in heaven. Oh, and it doesn't stop there. Oh, and his eyes see. He's not unaware. He knows everything. He knows the bows are bent. He knows the arrows are loaded. He knows that they're aimed at you. He knows that the whole thing could come crumbling down. He's not an idiot. And he's not blind. He sees. But sometimes it doesn't seem like it. I know. And this is why we have to preach truth to ourselves. This is what beholding the Lord looks like. The Lord is in his temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, and his eyes see. Oh, and this is important. And his eyelids test the children of man. Oh, see, I, I thought God was just there to pamper and to like give presents and gifts and make me warm and fuzzy and healthy and wealthy and rich, right? Wrong. God's purposes are not to pamper. God's purposes are to move towards knowing him and growing in him. God is not a pampering God. God is a perfecting God. And if God has to push into us, and if God has to work us, just like a parent would rightfully with a child and helping them mature and grow, right? So why do we turn around and look at God like he's Santa Claus? What's with that? That's horrible theology. Does God bless? Does God do? Absolutely God does. But he tests 
The children of the world. Oh, by the way, that's for other people. Uh, I know Christ is my Savior. That wouldn't be for me. Oh, yeah, this is what's really cool. He makes sure that we know. No, no. See the next line? He tests the righteous. Oh, by the way, so what's happening here is rather than if, 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 it's he, he, he. David now lays out who God is even more detail here. He, he, he. And the first, that sounds kind of funny. Um, <laughs> that just came. Sorry. That's kind of arrogant when you get caught up in yourself there. Okay, so <laughs> he tests the righteous. Hey, sometimes we're like, God needs to test that person so that they would come unto know the Savior, right? God needs to push them and love on them. But, but I know Christ is my Savior, so God's only like going to give me like fuzzy bunnies and marshmallows. No, not according to Psalm 11 and not according to James chapter 1. The Lord loves you and I enough that he tests us, he pushes us. And why is that important in this situation? By the way, it's not a test like you fail and you're out. It's a test to grow and to mature. And David is understanding in this whole thing, you know what? The the Lord tests the righteous, and, and, and this is an opportunity for me to be able to respond as someone who's growing in the Lord in this situation. He tests the righteous. Also, by the way, note, he hates the wicked. I've got written on my notes, whoa. I don't want to go there because I might irritate some people too much. But I just want to say this. Maybe we need to rethink the statement, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And I don't even like saying that. But look what it says. He hates the wicked. He hates the violent. This is serious, isn't it? David has wicked, violent people coming after him. And there's something about knowing in the situation, even in this, that it's not, uh, I I, I wish them the worst, but there's a fact of the matter of, of part of what makes righteousness reign in the end is wickedness has to be taken care of. And before we get off on that, because that can take us to bad places in our thinking of, who are you, God? Why would you say that? Justify yourself, God. Give me explanation of who you are. Before that, notice the next statement. He is righteous. And that kind of stops the whole process of going down bad places and accusing who God is and what God is up to. He is righteous times of trial and test, we need to remind ourselves he is righteous lest we become more like Jonah. Oh, and what a way to come out of all this. He loves righteous deeds. In other words, I just don't put right thinking in my mind of who God is and how God uh, has this whole situation take place. But out of that thinking, I am now to be able to be reminded that now out of that thinking, God loves righteous deeds. God loves right actions coming out of the right thinking. Right thinking leads to right actions. We need to preach it ourselves. 
By the way, what was the beginning declarative statement in verse 1? One more time. By the way, verses 4 through 7 is the definition of what that looks like. There's one last statement, isn't there? The upright shall behold its face. The upright shall behold his face. It's the idea of the upright will gaze upon his face. That's exactly what David just did. Do you see how life changes? When we're looking just, behold the wicked, behold the world. Oh, but the bows are bent, the arrows are loaded, they'll shoot at any time. They're coming, man. And I'm telling you, if what we have falls down and crumbles, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? If this church just like, is, is like, it falls and crumbles in the building, and what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Hey, 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 stop. That leads to, what does the righteous do? We're stuck, we can't do anything. No, no, no. And when you're in that moment in your life with your situations, take that thinking and behold the Lord. That's what taking refuge in the Lord is. It's the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven and his eyes they see. And his eyelids they test the children of men. And the Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. Because, not because, but the upright behold his face. Maybe David is to flee. But that's not the issue. The issue is where are you looking? What are you beholding? Better yet, who are you beholding? Let's just take some quiet time here. you want to bow your head, look at the text and the scripture, if you want to look at your notes, I, 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 I can't leave this just in the verbal expression of it. I want to have you take just a moment here and drive it home in your own life. I don't know what's going on in your life, but what's one thing, big or small, taking place in your life right now, where the bow is bent, where it just feels like the arrows are loaded, like the, you're, they're lined up, life's lined up, ready to shoot at you in the dark. What are the ifs that have been going in your mind? Like if this goes down, if this goes bad, if this gets taken away from me, if this relationship crumbles, if this, if this, if this, if this. If you've been sitting in that place, I will venture to say from Scripture that you have been ending up in this place of what can 
I do. What can I, as one who loves the Lord, what can I do in this? I want to yank you out of that. And I'm asking right now that you would take that situation, you would take that scenario that's taking place, and right now, it's time to take refuge in the Lord and behold Him. In the Lord I take refuge. Be still before the Lord. Loved one, the Lord is is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes fully see. Be reminded, his eyelids test. And that includes the Lord tests the righteous. And you have an opportunity in this situation right now to give glory to God in it and to live out what you believe and to live out what you say. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. In the Lord I take refuge by beholding his face.